Welcome to the College Football Bros, the podcast on the lookout for the Washington State popcorn guy. And now, here are your hosts, Michael, Ryan, and Trey Newman. Welcome to the College Football Bros podcast. I am Michael Newman, and I'm joined by the brother who spends more time in the sand than David Hasselhoff. Uh, okay, that would be me, Ryan Newman. And by the other brother, who eats pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> sure, Trey Newman. But I like the Happy Gilmore. Yes, yes. You of eat pieces of shit for breakfast? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, all right, we've got a lot to cover this episode. A ton of games this weekend that might have an impact on the playoffs. So let's get right into one of them. Our Week 7 recap starts with LSU dominating Georgia. 36 to 16. Ryan, what happened here? I have no idea. I, I still can't believe how much LSU dominated in this one, especially their offense that really hasn't been, you know, good all year. Uh, but against Georgia, they look like gangbusters. You know, they scored 36 points, but it really could have been and probably should have been more since they had to settle for five field goals. Um, Cole Tracy has money, by the way. Assumption College. He is, yeah. Money. Uh, they had 275 rushing yards, did not think Georgia would allow that. Um, it's probably the most inefficient game we've seen out of Jake Fromm. Um, I think you can attribute that to Georgia falling behind and kind of having to become one-dimensional for a large part of the game, but still just wasn't good. Um, I, I know they were behind, but they Georgia should have tried to run more. I mean, Swift and Holyfield were averaging about seven yards a carry. Uh, but they only got a ni- combined 19 carries, just just not enough. And when Georgia's at their best, Fromm is not throwing the ball 34 times. Um, but having said that, I, I don't think their strategy really maybe mattered a whole lot in this one. LSU was just too good today, or, well, Saturday. Yeah, they, they ran into a juggernaut, but just when I buy into Georgia, they go and do this. Yeah, right. They go and do this to me. This <laughs> yeah. is what you do, Georgia. This is what we thought before the year, right? Yeah, we all thought they'd lose one or two games and wouldn't be, yeah. you know, quite as good as they looked at the end of last year. And we kind of saw that in this game. But Ryan, you touched on on Fromm, and I was really surprised how little they went to Justin Fields. Yeah, and it really True. proves mm-hmm. to me that at least they're not comfortable letting Fields go out on his own and against an LSU team and start passing all over the field. Like they, they were very, they needed a spark, but they just, you would think they would have gone to fields, but just didn't do it. No, they, they brought him in a couple of times to run like a quarterback draw or zone read, but they just did not want him to, uh, to be let loose. And, but the other thing though, was LSU running for 275 yards against that Bulldogs front was really impressive. So, yeah. And Georgia was just sloppy in this game from, you said, Ryan had, you know, maybe his worst game had two really bad interceptions. Mecole Hardman had a couple drops and, of course, fumbled that kickoff return. Um, but I think all is not, it's not doom and gloom for Georgia. No. Remember last year, they got killed by Auburn. And yeah, they did. It didn't mean they were a worse team than Auburn. And, of course, they won out and beat Auburn in the SEC championship and got in the playoffs. So if Georgia does that again this year, if they win out, then obviously they're in the playoff. In a couple of weeks, they're, still going to be favored over Florida, a team that beat LSU. Um, As far as LSU, I'm not going to overreact to them either. They're obviously much better than we thought, which is great. Coach O is is now secure in his job, but with Alabama still left on the schedule, a couple other good teams, I would still expect, you know, at least one more loss from them. 
now but now what if georgia goes and loses to bama in the sec title with now they have two losses uh are they in very unlikely i would say yeah yeah they just don't have enough wins otherwise yeah all right next game oregon won a 30 to 27 game in overtime on a walk-off rushing touchdown by cj verdell trey what'd you see here well the ducks all but ended the Pac-12's playoff hopes, but uh, but they themselves, they're back in the mix to win the North. Of course, Washington missing that field goal on the last play of regulation ended up really deciding this, but yeah. what, was so, what was so impressive about this win is that Justin Herbert didn't even have that great of a game, and they, they were still able to beat a quality team like UW. What was also surprising that with Oregon being down two starting offensive linemen, they really ended up controlling the line of scrimmage in the second half, and obviously they won it by running it uh, up the gut in in overtime. And Ryan, you always point out about the lack of explosive explosiveness on offense for UW, and it really showed in this game. Gaskin is good, but Browning just doesn't have that that quote unquote it factor. Yeah, if I were a Washington fan, I would have left this game thinking we should have had it. They dropped two kind of easy interceptions against Herbert in the first half. Wasted a, a great second half from from Browning to his credit. He was 9 of 10, 152 yards and a touchdown. So bounced back after kind of a bad first half. And really, he did enough to win. I mean, he put them in that position to have a 37-yard field goal from Peyton Henry to win. And yeah. of course, he missed it. But uh, but yeah, ultimately, like you said, Trey, Pac-12 likely out of the playoff, though. Oregon, maybe they're, they're a dark sure. horse. Yeah, they're a dark horse. Got a, got a shot. Um I, I'm honestly just kind of happy for Duck fans that they didn't have to suffer two heartbreaking losses to like their two biggest games of the year. That would have been that would have been yeah. rough. Good point. Would have been rough for them. Um, but now all that those you know sympathetic feelings go to Peyton Henry. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's a tough loss. Tough to you know they take so much blame those kickers. That's it really sucks. But this was such a fun game to watch. It was never more than a seven point game. Both defenses played really well, yet there was enough offense to make it an exciting game to watch. So just a 50-50 game, but Oregon was just fortunate that they uh, ended up winning. And, you know, now they're the favorites to win the North, but the North is one of the most exciting division races in all of college football. There's like four teams that could still win it. So um, Yeah, Washington State's still in it. Yeah. Are you counting Stanford as that that fourth team? They only have one loss. All right. In the, in the Pac-12. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it looked ugly, but they still only have one loss. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Michigan State getting the 21-17 to upset at Penn State. Craziest play of this game here was fourth and six, chance to tie on a short field goal, and Michigan State faked it. Lewerke ended up throwing it incomplete, but of course, they did get another chance last drive of the game, and Lewerke tried to give it away this time. Really bad pass. With about a minute left, easy interception right in the defender's gut. Ugh. He dropped it. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, but Lewerke bounced back, found Felton Davis on a back shoulder throw on third down for a touchdown and ultimately the win. Uh, big win for Michigan State, who, like you said, Ryan, last week, they I did still have a chance to turn around their season, despite yeah. looking kind of mediocre in a lot of games. Um, on the other side, much like Washington, Penn State has now most likely been eliminated from the playoff. Yes, they have. Well, you know, whenever you start doubting Mark D'Antonio, he comes up with a game like this. Sparty just seems to play better when they're the underdog. Um, and all that preseason hype 
was definitely gone this past week. Nobody was thinking they were playoff material or anything like that. So now we see a good response from them. They did a great job of keeping Trace McSorley in check. He wasn't nearly as effective as he was um, against Ohio State. But I know another big, big factor to me in this game was the fact that Michigan State ran 25 more plays than Penn State did. So on that last drive, I mean, I know they had could have had that interception. But other than that, you know, they were facing a Penn State team that had been on the field or Penn State defense that had been on the field a lot. So it's hard to yeah, stop that a team DB's when, hands must have been tired. He couldn't he couldn't <laughs> grasp the football. Couldn't squeeze that football just because yeah. he was so tired of fighting off blocks and stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, still you get the picture. They they held the ball for a lot of the game and that's a huge a huge deal keeping that McSorley off the field. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Sparty just that's what they do. They surprise you. Yeah, it was a it was a ten minute time time of possession advantage. But I want to go back and listen, Braden. I was on board with your Spartans in this one. I, I remember that. I liked them last really? week. Really? I don't remember that. I don't oh, either. I, was, I, I picked them against the spread, and I was very confident because of the hangover against Ohio State. But um, and, and, and last season, they lost. They did this exact same thing. They had a crushing loss to Ohio State. They followed it up with a loss to Michigan State. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that, that interception, oh, their lack thereof, near interception, oh, was just that's brutal for the Nittany Lions. Yeah. Michigan State had a lot of luck in this game. As Bill Connolly has pointed out, there were five fumbles in the game. Michigan State recovered all of them. Wow. Yeah, they were they were fortunate to win for sure, but <laughs> wins a win. They were due. They were due. Uh okay. Next game, Michigan gets a statement win, thirty eight to thirteen over Wisconsin. Ryan, what'd you take from this game? Yeah, I was uh I was wrong about this game. I thought I mean, I knew Wisconsin wasn't quite as good as the last couple of years on defense, but I thought they'd put up a better fight than this one. Um, Michigan hardly needed to pass because they just dominated on the ground so much, rushing for 320 yards. And I, I don't really know how to describe how bad Alex Hornibrick was in this game. <laughs> he was, he was so, very bad. <laughs> I'm not going to really try, but I'll just say that he had a .7 QBR, the less than one. So that's it's pretty low. Wow, it's pretty low. And it's it, what's even more surprising is that they were they were actually pretty successful running the ball. Wisconsin was they they had 183 yards and over a 6.3 average. So I mean, it wasn't like they were completely one dimensional. Hornibrook was just that bad. Um, but great performance out of Michigan. Um, your team, Mike. They're uh, yeah. They, I don't know they might be the best looking team in the entire Big Ten right now. Yeah, you could you could make that argument. Um, but I'm not gonna overreact too much you because are the king of not overreacting you, that's my theme this week <laughs> no that's just you're, you're the king oh you, yeah 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 you say that every week you know i'll try to stay even keeled you here. never overreact <laughs> <laughs> uh well we did overreact in the off season i let i let the the internet tell me that alex hornerbrook was actually pretty good and we fell for it yeah or i fell you, for it you did you did yeah oh we should have stuck with alex hornerbrook sucks it was the right <laughs> take to have yeah um but yeah, Wisconsin just isn't that good this year. The defense, of course, has has taken a big step back, and we kind of expected that at least a little bit. Uh, I know they were shorthanded this week with some injuries, but still, yeah, not a good performance. And I also won't try to describe how bad Hornibrook was. That pick six was also indescribable, <laughs> indescribably bad. <laughs> he, yeah, he was he was something else. But Michigan's defense has a way of doing that i know hornybrook is awful but mm-hmm. michigan's defense is, is so good i mean they make teams look like this left and right and 
and they didn't even have Rashawn Gary in this one. Yeah, true. And you know, there is there is lots of of football left, and nothing is predictable in college football. But this game seemed to prove that the Big Ten title is most likely going to come down to that Ohio State Michigan game. I know I know Sparty's going to have something to say about it, but they have a tough schedule down the stretch. So I really think it's just it, it might be the deciding game is the Ohio State Michigan game will actually be the Big Ten title. That would be great if that was the case. Um, another thing I saw in this game that I liked was how much you know they had planned runs for Shea Patterson. Because uh, the offense, there's not really a ton of proven playmakers on this offense. Obviously, no. Karan Higdon stepping up at running back has been great. Uh, but I think they're going to continue to need to get something on the ground from Patterson. Just adds a, another element to the offense. Yeah, definitely. Okay, before we get to the rapid recaps, let's do an early segment this week we've got a bank here of six notable results from ranked teams we're going to play a game called what does it mean so we'll go around in a circle take turns choosing a game saying what happened actually it's a triangle you might call it a love triangle devil's triangle okay okay um we'll say what happened and more importantly what it means for the highly ranked team so trey you have the first pick all right i'm gonna go with america's team Dallas Cowboys. Which most people would say is Notre Dame. Oh, right. Yeah. Now, Pittsburgh at Notre Dame. Notre Dame had to pull out all of the stops to squeak by Pitt here, 19 to 14. They held Notre Dame out of the end zone often, making them settle for field goals, kept them to 2.1 yards per rush. And Notre Dame's one of those teams where they look like they can beat almost anyone, but then they can almost lose to anyone. So nothing is really given for the Irish this year. Okay. All right. Nothing is given. That's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to go with Tennessee at Auburn. Uh, the Vols, of course, 130 to 24. Really good performance from Jarrett Garantano. The other Jarrett, Jarrett Stidham, Oy. not very good. Two interceptions, one fumble that led to a touchdown. Uh, he was, yeah, he looked really bad. Um, but big win for Jeremy Pruitt and the Vols. Kind of a win to get their program jump started. Uh, kind of a proof of proof of concept but man i mean for what i'm taking away from this game what it means is that gus malzahn fair or not is likely to start next season on the hot seat because auburn's yeah. now four and three one and three in the sec and they still of course i think we've mentioned this in past weeks but they still have games against a&m at georgia and at alabama so it's looking like maybe six and six yeah it's a disappointing year down there in auburn um I'm going to take uh, West Virginia versus Iowa State. Uh, the Cyclones won that game 30-14 to and really did exactly what you have to do to beat the Mountaineers. They ran the ball well and kept Will Greer on the sidelines. Greer only threw 15 passes in this game. That's just crazy to me. So complete domination mm-hmm. by the Cyclones. <laughs> well, true, but still, complete domination by the Cyclones. And what it means uh, is that it puts an end to West Virginia's hopes for a, the playoff. Not that there was a huge... Ooh, ooh. even if they boy, went out... Well, I mean, what's their? They have nothing in the non-conference. They're not going to have many. They'll have Texas many, and Oklahoma. Texas though. and Oklahoma, and then it'll be Oklahoma or Texas again. Okay, fine, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't see it happening. Even no, with neither those do wins. I. But, anyways, um, if you look at their per- percent chance of making the playoff, it's one percent now. So. So there is mm-hmm. a chance. Theoretically. <laughs> if we're doing 90s movies quotes today, there is a yeah, chance. So okay. There okay. Is. There's a slight chance. All right. 
Uh, I mean, they're still tied for first place uh, in the Big 12, but they do have the toughest remaining schedule in the Big 12 they, with those those last few games they still have to play. So it's uh, that's a pretty uh, Im- impactful loss for the Mountaineers. A pretty impactful loss. Oh, Very man. Purdy. Very pretty. <laughs> pretty bad joke there. All right. I'll take uh, Miami at Virginia. This was one of the more ugly offensive games you'll ever see. Each team had three turnovers, but a couple short fields for Virginia led them let them get up 10 nothing, and they held on to win 16-13. So this really proves that Miami still has some serious work left to do. Nikosi Perry, he's not yet ready to make this his team. He got pulled after four series and, and two interceptions. I mean, they're they're still alive in the Coastal, but they need to improve dramatically on offense to have a chance against Clemson if they end up winning this division. Yeah, welcome to the Mark Richt experience, Miami fans. What experience is that? Uh, just, you know, not being as good as you want to be. Okay. <laughs> you remember on, on game day, if you, or game day on like college football final a few years ago, they would have the ACC wheel of destiny? And they would spin it and they would just make fun of like, who's going to win the ACC this week? And it's just the Coastal is like, it's yeah. like that. Like no one knows any any given week. Yeah, that's true. All right. Two games left here. I'm going to take Baylor at Texas. Texas held on to win 23 to 17 after Sam Ellinger injured his shoulder early in the game. I'd be happy with this with this game if I were a Texas fan, obviously. I mean, you get the win. Um, but I think they're. You know, they're in a different position than like an Ohio State or even an Oklahoma. I don't think any Texas fan thinks they're a dominant top five type team. So their goal is to just, you know, win close games if you have to survive in advance to that Big 12 championships championship. Uh, Wow. I added an S to championship. Yeah. What is that? That's worse than the playoffs. (laughs) That was a weird one. I don't know what happened there. Um, But to get the win with, you know, Bichelle thrown into the fire there was very good. And most importantly, Ellinger's injury, at least right now, doesn't look too bad. Grade one shoulder sprain. They have a bye this week, very well-timed bye. So he'll get some rest, and he's supposed to be back in a couple weeks, I think, against Oklahoma State. Okay. Well, I guess that leaves me with um, Minnesota and Ohio State. The Buckeyes won 30-14, to but this was a close game in the fourth quarter, um, and the Gophers outrushed the Buckeyes by nearly 90 yards. So, it's just another warning sign that the Buckeyes aren't all that dominant, you know. Um, obviously, they're still in control of their destiny, but to me, what this does, what it means is that it makes them more vulnerable in the eyes of the committee, um, and to me, that's a big difference. If you if you have the, they do the eye test, I feel like, quite a bit, and they're just not passing that right now, um, so it could come to cost them if they're 11-1, and one, say, and they're going up against another 11-1 team from either the ACC or... West Virginia, West Virginia, (laughs) maybe, maybe Georgia does the 11 and one or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's just another hurdle that they'll have to come across with come playoff time, come playoff pick time. Okay. That does it for that segment. Uh, Let's close out our week seven analysis with our rapid recaps. Ryan, you're up first. Alrighty. My first game is Texas tech at TCU. And I 
didn't feel like I was watching the Red Raiders and the Horned Frogs in this one. The offenses were pitiful, <laughs> uh, but Texas Tech was able to prevail 17-14, to 14, thanks in large part to forcing three TCU turnovers, so that Red Raider defense got back to the turnovers there. Um, my next game is uh, Arizona at Utah, and the Utes completely dominated this one, 42-10. to 10. Khalil Tate re-aggravated an ankle injury and left in the first quarter, and it was actually Rich Rod's son who finished the game at quarterback for the Wildcats, and he honestly didn't play that bad. So um, if I'm Kevin Sumlin, I'm letting I'm letting Tate rest until he's 100%. He hasn't looked very good all year, so let him rest. Uh, my third game is Missouri at Alabama, and of course the Tide got off to a great start. They've scored a touchdown on every opening possession this season, uh, and they cruised to a 39-10 victory. Main concern from this game, obviously, is Tua leaving with a knee injury. But Saban's already said it doesn't appear to be serious, and he should be fine for this weekend's game at Tennessee. And my last game, I wish I really didn't have to talk about this one, um, <laughs> Nebraska at Northwestern. Just a comedy of errors for Nebraska at this point, up 10 with a few minutes to go, and they still find a way to lose, even after recovering an onside kick attempt by Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern had to go 99 yards on their final drive of the game to force overtime. They com- they completed two fourth and tens. So it was just, I mean, from Northwestern's perspective, it was a remarkable comeback and a huge win for them. So congrats. Congrats, guys. <laughs> happy for you. Real happy. I'm, I'm real happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. My first game, USC beat Colorado 31-20. If you follow our Instagram at College Football Bros, you would know I was at this game. Didn't go see Ryan, though, even though he lives in L.A. Sorry about that. Yeah, what the heck was that about? <laughs> I mean, I was busy, you know, I had to go to a game. Yeah, you're busy going bowling. Yeah. Yeah, well, the bowling was really spur of the moment kind of thing. <laughs> uh, anyway. No hard, no hard feelings. <laughs> USC's defense uh, completely dominated in this one. The offense wasn't super efficient, though. That's kind of been a theme all year. But they did luckily have a few explosive plays, especially a few passes to Michael Pittman Jr., whose dad, Michael Pittman Sr., went to the bathroom right before his long touchdown. That's Were you waiting for him there? Or? Uh, no, I was <laughs> sitting behind him, and I saw him go, and then his son scored a touchdown. I was like, oh, that sucks. That is too bad. <laughs> uh, big news out of this one, though. By far the Trojans' best pass rusher, Porter Gustin, out for the year with a fractured ankle. Other big takeaway from this game, it was parents' weekend at USC, and the parents were getting lit AF. Wow. Yeah. That's what they do. It is what they do. Uh, UCF yeah. came back from down 30 to 17 to get the 31 30 victory. Memphis had a first and 10 at the UCF 35 yard line. 18 seconds left. All they needed was a field goal to win. Got a false start. And then the next play, short pass inbounds. They had no timeouts. Clock ran out. Pretty, pretty bad clock management there. And they didn't score a point in the second half. That's right. Yeah. They were up 30 17 at halftime. So, yeah. UCF continues, they, they get wins, you know, even if it's not super yeah, impressive do. in this one. Uh, next game, Texas A&M got a 26-23 win at South Carolina. They improved a 3-1 and in SEC play. Kellen Mond, great day through the air. The difference in this game, though, was turnovers. Jake Bentley threw a pick in the end zone, and Brian Edwards fumbled on a punt return. Final game, Chip Kelly and UCLA get their first win, 37-7 at Cal. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 13 of 15 passing, so nice game from him. Joshua Kelly, 157 yards rushing on the ground, three touchdowns. The other side, Brandon McIlwain, very, very bad. Turned it over four times, 
And the Bears are who we thought they were. Yeah, they are. They plummeted real quick after that good start. Yeah. All right. My first game is Florida at Vanderbilt. Poor Vandy. Vandy led this one 21-3 before Florida stormed back and ended up winning this one 37-27. And that's a key final score for the, the betters out there. It was a tough tough beat for Vandy backers. <laughs> Florida's, Florida's P-Rhine had over 200 yards of offense, and Franks didn't really panic when they were trailing. Mullen's, Mullen just continues to pile up wins in, in year one. The big moment, though, in this game was when Mullen and Derek Mason needed to be separated after a controversial play. Sorry, Mullen, but uh, I think Mason would have clocked you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My next game is Iowa at Indiana. Now, break up the Hawkeyes' offense. They won 42-16 to in Bloomington as Nathan Stanley threw for 320 yards and six touchdowns. Beth Mullins was all over that one. Uh, yeah, that's right. She, cu- she couldn't compliment the Iowa offense anymore. Uh, <laughs> but Iowa dominated the Hoosiers all the way around. My next one, oh- Oklahoma State at Kansas State. K-State won this 31-12 to as Okie State finds themselves in a tailspin, having now lost three of four with their only win being against Kansas. It's not good when you make Kansas State look like they have a, a good offense in this one either. The Wildcats dominated in almost every category, including holding a 38-22 to minute time of possession advantage. Finally, Virginia Tech at North Carolina. Virginia Tech pulled this one out of a hat, winning 22-19. to In the middle of the fourth quarter, with North Carolina leading 19-14, to they had a third and 15 at their own seven-yard line, and, and they threw an 80-yard pass. That same drive, they ended up having first and goal at the one, and they fumbled. Ouch. Virginia Tech then went on a 98-yard drive to score a touchdown with 19 seconds left. And that's pretty much a, a perfect resemblance of, of how the Tar Heels season has gone. All right, that'll do it for week seven. Let's get into our second segment of the day. And I'm going to give a top five list, the top five underrated players this season. Number five, Jermar Jefferson, running back for Oregon State. Yeah. On pace to surpass Jacquez Rogers, or Jacquez Rogers, freshman rushing yards record for the Beavers, and already holds two of the four best single game rushing records for Oregon State. But they can't win. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Get those <laughs> stats. Get those stats, Jermar. Number four, Jace Sternberger, tight end for AM, another refugee from Kansas, where he only had one reception. And now here at AM as a junior, leads the nation in receiving yards for a tight end with 496 yards and had a crazy play this weekend where he dragged a defender for 25 yards before finally being tackled. It's like Vance McDonald. Is that NFL? Yeah, Pittsburgh's tight end. No, uh, don't talk to me about the NFL. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Number three, Justin Hollins, edge rusher for Oregon, near the top of the Pac-12 in quarterback pressures and pro football focus has him with the highest pass rushing grade in the conference. Number two, Zach Thomas, Appalachian State quarterback, third in the nation in QBR, 16 touchdowns, only three interceptions, and he's averaging 8.3 yards per carry on non-sack rushing attempts. Dual threat, baby. Number one, John Ursua, a 5'9 wide receiver for Hawaii, was a high school quarterback in Utah, two-star recruit, took a two-year mission to Paris, Now he's back and as a junior leads the nation with 890 receiving yards 
and 13 touchdowns. I would like to take my mission to Paris. Wow. That's what you got out of that. <laughs> yes, it is. That's Those what I took out of numbers, it. and Ryan just wants to go to Paris <laughs> no. and teach people about our Lord and Savior. I just heard a mission to Paris, but... <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty good he got lucky he's trilingual by the way another fact about john ursua i read all about him seems like a good guy <laughs> must be okay let's get to the week eight preview can't believe it's already week eight by the way i know i know wow numbers is the halfway point number six michigan is a seven point favorite at number 24 michigan state and we got a voicemail from our favorite spartan this weekend so let's take a listen rose this is Braden. The Spartans just beat Penn State, but that doesn't matter. It's Michigan week. My only question for you, how many touchdowns is Michigan State going to beat Michigan by? Take the answer off the air. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Braden's tune has really changed after that Penn State win. He, he was yeah. kind of down in the dumps. <laughs> totally did. Now, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I got a little pep in his step. But, uh, you know, Michigan State, they did. They made this, this, this game with Michigan even more intriguing after their upset win. And I'm definitely not in love with the the Wolverines offense. You know, outside of Shea Patterson's long scamper, he wasn't overpowering versus Wisconsin in in this one. Higdon is the key. If Sparty can slow Higdon down, then they have a chance here. But to me, defense travels. Michigan has the superior defense. So I like the Wolverines to slow down Lewerke and the Spartans. Sorry, Braden. No, no offense. By the way, thanks for calling, Braden. And if anybody else wants to call for next week, Voicemail line is 260-CFB-BROS. I know we've gotten a couple calls from Canada. I see we have listeners from Germany, the UK, all over the place. So especially if you're an international listener, give us a call. Let us hear your accent. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Um, as far as this game, uh, I think I may have said this last week, but this time for real. This is the first real test for Ed Warner's O-line, uh, at least since that, since that Notre Dame game. Because Michigan State's number one in the country defending the rush, both per attempt and per game. So if Michigan's able to run the ball this week uh, effectively, then Ed Warner should start getting mentioned for the Broyles Award. Broyles Award. That's hard to say. Try and say that. Broyles Award. All right. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but either way, uh, I don't think Michigan is going to have to score all that much in this game because Michigan State's offense just isn't very good. And they're going up against what I think is the best defense in the country. So give me Michigan. And to answer Braden's question, I think Michigan State wins by negative 10 points. Oh, man. Ouch. Ouch. Um, it's a, little, know, a little math there for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go a little contrarian here. I'm going uh, to take Sparty here. Okay. It, they, they always play the Wolverines tough. They beat them last year in Ann Arbor uh, in a low-scoring game. And I don't think there's any reason why they can't do that this year they have a good defense um i think they'll kind of they'll be ready to play for this one this is what sparty does and when they you think they're the underdog when they think they don't have much of a chance they will they pull something off so i think they can get it done in east lansing and uh i'm gonna say they pull off the upset here yeah if they do win it's gonna be an ugly game i think they gotta muck yeah, it up exactly it's gonna be an ugly game yeah yeah either way probably uh, but this is, we didn't mention, it's a huge game perception-wise for Harbaugh. You know, he's going to wipe away all that goodwill of, you know, this, what are they on, six-game winning streak with a loss here. Because 
we all know like this Michigan team's very good. Regardless, if they lose this game, they're still really good. But the the people that say, well, they haven't beat Michigan State or they not enough, they haven't beat uh, Ohio State, they're going to keep talking. Yeah. Did they have they beat Michigan State once though under Harbaugh? They beat them once. They beat them once. Okay. Well, still, <laughs> they got to do it again. <laughs> Next game, number sixteen, NC State at number three, Clemson. Uh, Clemson's a sixteen and a half point favorite. What do you think here, Ryan? Yeah, it's hard to believe NC State is still undefeated at this point. Uh, last year was honestly supposed to be their year, you know, when they had that great defensive line, um, but they just kind of ended up disappointing. And then this year, they're flying under the radar. Um, but having said that, they are not an impressive 5-0. and They've had some close calls uh, against teams like James Madison and Marshall. So I think their luck runs out here uh, against a rested and refocused Clemson squad. Oh, good job, think, Ryan. Well done. Yeah, you're welcome, Andrew Tay. Um, <laughs> The Tigers, the last five quarters, they have looked like Clemson we thought they would be this year. Oh, um, you went right back to Clemson, man. Oh, I did, didn't I? <laughs> you went right back to it. <laughs> so hard. So hard. It is. <laughs> All right. So Clemson has looked great the last five quarters. Um, and I think it's been a commitment to the ground game that's really made the difference. So I'm expecting another huge game out of Travis Etienne. And I think uh, the Tigers win big and cover that spread. I agree. I like Clemson in this game. Um, big question, though, is, you know, if, if NC State's going to hang in this game is can Ryan Finley and the receivers ha- have success against that Clemson secondary? Because the secondary was the big concern. I don't know about big concern, but if there was any concern, it was the secondary coming into the season. But outside of, you know, some good throws by Kellen Mond in the A&M game, secondary has been really good. So I'm going to lay the 17 points. But I will say if somehow NC State is able to pull off the upset, things have the potential to get pretty crazy because they're going to be a significant favorite in every game left on their schedule after this. Yeah, no, it is. It's crazy. And and actually, what's what's even crazier is that this is the last marquee ACC game of the season until the conference title, arguably. I mean, it, <laughs> that's pretty sad. Uh, we But we just don't we don't know anything about NC State. They're 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 probably pretenders uh, as the odds makers have have pointed out here, but we you know we we still don't know. This will be a great test and I'm really interested to see how Ryan Finley can throw it around against this Clemson defense. Um he's going to need to find Kelvin Harmon a few times cuz they have a they're a, they're a great tandem. But uh even though I think the Wolfpack are pretenders, they do have a top 30 defense and I think they'll be able to hold Trevor Lawrence in check just enough to to squeeze within the number okay next game number 22 mississippi state at number five lsu and lsu is a six and a half point favorite i know kentucky was able to do it but i think it's really hard to win comfortably against mississippi state with the way their defense is playing jeffrey simmons montez sweat on the d-line both potential first round picks by the way i was trying to look up how many sacks montez sweat has and it is a mystery espn has them at four and a half but it just looks like they haven't counted the three sacks in the Auburn game yet. Sports Reference has them at eight. USA Today has them at seven and a half. So no idea. But the point is, it's a lot of sacks. And Mississippi State has the 10th best defense in the country per Massey Peabody. So I think they'll do a better job than Georgia at stopping the run. And they'll lose on a last second 50-yard field goal from the GOAT from (laughs) Assumption College. Wow, that's a bold call. I know I'm very specific with that call. I uh, the question here is how does LSU handle the success? And 
I was I was actually surprised when I was looking at this game that Mississippi State actually has the higher rated defense. Michael, as you were just kind of pointing out that they were they have the tenth. Yeah, they're in S and P plus another metric. They're they're tenth versus LSU's thirteenth. The other question is is which Nick, Nick Fitzgerald is going to show up against good defenses this year? The Bulldog offense hasn't fared well at all outside of the Auburn game, but but that's not looking as great right now. Obviously, after their convincing Georgia win. Everyone is patting LSU on its back, and only because of the situation, I'm going to sell high on LSU, and I like Mississippi State to cover here. Okay, guys, uh, you're negative. You're being negative on LSU. I feel like we are. They, we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I like them this week. I mean, how can you not pick them after how well they played last week against Georgia? I mean, if they play anywhere close to that level, they'll beat Mississippi State probably by at least a touchdown. Um, I really don't have any confidence in Fitzgerald through the air. And honestly, I don't think Joe Moorhead really does anymore either. <laughs> he, uh, he ran Fitzgerald 28 times last week against Auburn. Uh, I know they have a really good defense, but I don't know. I still think LSU will be able to make some plays, especially on the ground. They've been very impressive the past couple of weeks in that department. So I- I'm taking LSU guys. I'm riding high here. All right. Our final full game preview is number 12 Oregon at number 25 Washington State the Cougs are a one and a half point favorite and game day is finally going to Pullman Trey what do you think of this one yeah that that's the story right there that's awesome old faithful the flag that's at every game day site finally gets gets a home game Pullman's going to be electric for this game. It uh, It's going to be awesome to see. Everyone knows about uh, Justin Herbert and the Ducks, but I've been really impressed with Gardner Minshew, the quarterback for Wazoo. He's been amazing, and he has a stable of receivers that can spread any defense out. And honestly, in this game, I like the Ducks, or sorry, I like the Cougs defense a little bit more than the Ducks, even though they can be semi-vulnerable against the run. But the Ducks come in here off their biggest win in, in quite some time, and now they have to go on the road to face a Coug team that's fresh off of a bye week. So I'm going to lean with Wazoo in this one, and I'm actually going to make them my lock of the week. Yeah, I uh, I kind of agree with you here, Trey. Um, after Oregon's big win, all of a sudden they jumped right into the driver's seat in the north. But, I mean, if they lose this game, it's the Cougs that are going to be arguably in the driver's seat. So it's a huge game. Um like you, I've been impressed with Wazoo this year with all the turmoil they had during the offseason. They had a lot of coaches leaving, losing Hercules Mata'afa, and they're unfortunately, you know, a new quarterback. Just didn't think they'd be able to get to 5-1 at this point and have such a meaningful game. Um, but because this game is in Pullman and the atmosphere should be awesome, I am going to take the Cougs and I say they win a close one. Okay, I'm going the other way. I agree. The offense for Washington State looks really good. Gardner, Gardner Minshew leading the country in passing yards. But I'm still undecided on the defense. Ryan, you mentioned, of course, losing Grinch and Mata'afa. And really this year, they haven't... Well, that's 50% stupid, Michael. <laughs> that's Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, but this year, they haven't faced a team with a decent offense. They gave up 38 to a mediocre USC offense, 37 to Oregon State. So... I'd expect Herbert to have a, a monster game in this one, and I'll say that Oregon hands Washington State their first home loss since 2016. That's impressive, Cougs. Okay, time for the honorable mentions. Trey, why don't you get us started? Okay, my first game is Stanford at Arizona State. It's on Thursday night, and Stanford is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. 
Both teams come into this one looking to right the ship. We've talked a lot about Stanford with Bryce Love struggles, the amazing tight ends KJ Costello throws to, but we haven't talked about ASU's playmakers enough. Manny Wilkins has completed over 60% of his passes, has an 11 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. Eno Benjamin has averaged almost six yards per carry and has at and is over a hundred yards per game average. Nikhil Harry on the outside, he'll be playing on Sunday soon. I like the Sun Devils at home here. Next game is USC at Utah. Utah is currently a six and a half point favorite. Fresh off their convincing convincing win against previously unbeaten Colorado, the Trojans now have to go on the road to face a Utah team who is brimming with confidence after their last two dominant perf- conference wins. Tyler Huntley has played much better of late and will need to outplay the fun USC offense led by JT Daniels and the athletes that SC has on that side of the ball. Obviously losing Porter Gustin, like you mentioned, Michael, for the season is a bummer in a game like this. Yeah. So I like the Utes since it's in Salt Lake. My next game is number two, Ohio State at Purdue. Ohio State's currently favored by 14. Purdue is 3-3, three and three, but with a couple bounces, they could easily be 6-0 and or 5-1. and one. Ohio State has been playing with fire lately, but their talent has pushed them over the edge. Since barely escaping Penn State with a win, they've had home games versus Indiana and Maryland where they've looked lethargic and have had close battles going in the second half or fourth quarter. Haskins putting up gaudy numbers, and I think this is the game that will get the Buckeyes fired up and they'll flex their muscle in West Lafayette. Finally, Virginia at Duke. Duke is favored 7.5. Who would have guessed before the season that a late October game between Virginia and Duke would be meaningful? The winner of this game still has hopes of winning the Coastal Division. Daniel Jones has been impressive since coming back from his injury quicker than expected. He's completed 70% of his passes on the season. I love Coach Cutcliffe, and I think the Blue Devils are going to force Perkins into some turnovers to come out on top here. Okay, my first game, Colorado at number 15, Washington. Huskies are a 15.5-point favorite. And I like them as a favorite. I think Colorado actually played worse offensively than the final score against USC indicated. And Washington has an even, even better defense than, than USC. So I think they'll struggle. Colorado will, that is. Um, plus Chenault and Trayvon McMillan, a little banged up right now. So that's why I like UW. Next game, number 20, Cincinnati at Temple. And Temple's a three and a half point favorite. Huge game in the AAC East, which is a really good division this year. There's currently more teams ranked from the AAC East than the entire ACC. Huh. UCF, Cincinnati, and USF, all in the top 25, all undefeated. But Temple quietly is 3-0 in conference. Their defense is 15th in S&P+. So I say they'll ruin Cincinnati's perfect season, and especially if star running back Raquel Armstead is back healthy. And I'm actually going to lock that in. Next game, Maryland at number 19, Iowa. The Hawkeyes are an 11.5 point favorite. Trey, you mentioned Nate Stanley's great game last week. He earned our man crush Monday, so you know that's got to give him a lot of confidence going into this week. (laughs) I'm going to pick against Maryland here because they were very rude last week to my boy, Art Sitkowski from Rutgers. They held him to 2 of 16 passing (laughs) for 8 yards and 4 interceptions. That might be the worst stat line I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just unsportsmanlike, really. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's not good. And the other guy, I forget his name. Uh, he's got like an Italian name. Came in and just threw one pass for one interception. So <laughs> not great. Uh, What's his name, Ryan? You know his name. I uh, don't know his name anymore. Giovanni. I don't. I forget his uh, name. Yeah, it's, I think it, I, 
Giancarlo. All right, somebody look that up. Somebody look that yeah, up. I don't know. Next game, Alabama minus 29 at Tennessee. Alabama's margin of victory has been within two points of the closing number in three of the past four weeks. Interesting fact, zero predictive value. My prediction for this game, also zero predictive value, is that Alabama wins by 35 points. All right. Great job, Mike. Thank you. Thank okay, you. My first game, number nine, Oklahoma is a seven and a half point favorite at TCU. OU's playing their first game after it's lost to Texas, and I think we're going to see uh, them respond well here at a TCU team that's really struggling offensively. I don't think the Horn Frogs with Sean Robinson are going to be able to keep up, so I like OU to cover, and I like them to win big, so I'm going to lock this in as my lock of the week. Giovanni Resigno. Yep. Ooh, Very Resigno. good. Yep. <laughs> All righty, number 18, Penn State, is a 14.5 point favorite in Bloomington against Indiana. I'm interested to see how Penn State responds after being knocked out of the Big Ten race. Thankfully for them, they're playing an Indiana team that was uh, that was just de- demoralized by Iowa. Uh, so I think the uh, Nittany Lions are going to get back on track with a big win and cover the 14.5 points. Next game is Memphis at Missouri, an interesting non-conference battle this late in the year. Missouri's favored seven. Two great offenses go head-to-head here, and I think this is going to be a back-and-forth game the entire way. But I'm going to take the points with Memphis here because I think they have the better rushing attack. Daryl Henderson, great running back for them. He's already rushed for over 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns. So I'm going to take the plus seven. Yeah, he leads the nation in rushing. Yeah, he's great. And my last game, we got Vandy at number 14, Kentucky, who was favored by 11. Kentucky's coming off of a bye week after that tough loss uh, in College Station, while Vandy is coming off a hard-fought loss to Florida. I think the Wildcats uh, are going to shut down that Commodore offense, and Benny Snell is going to have a bounce-back game. So give me the Wildcats minus the points. Okay, let's close out the episode, as always, with a questionable finish. Iowa State's halftime show this weekend featured dozens of dinosaurs dancing to the Jurassic Park theme song. What is your best weird halftime show idea? All right, well, since Halloween is right around the corner in a couple weeks, I think it would be kind of cool if a school did some sort of like Halloween horror show and they put on a little skit, you know? All right. Yeah. Needs to be fleshed out, yeah. but I like it. Okay, well, you know. I'm going with American Gladiators. You put famous alumni from each team against each other on the field at halftime, an abbreviated version of the show. And you might say, that sounds crazy. That's never going to happen. It already did. 1995. Charles White and Anthony Davis from USC went on American Gladiators and beat Alan Pinkett and Vegas Ferguson from Notre Dame. Wow. That's a good idea. Yeah. I think I think it would be fun to see fans, some fans play football in pads. So like okay. there's overtime rules. They each get the ball at the 25. I just want to see how poor it would be compared to the actual game. <laughs> It'd be pretty bad. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Next question. During the Colorado-USC game, I saw firsthand that the entire stadium, including the Colorado coaching staff, was unaware that a Steven Montez run was ruled a touchdown. Name something in the world that happened, but you somehow completely missed. So last year, when the McRib came back, I missed it. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how I missed it. Wow. Each year, I trick myself into thinking that it's delicious, and I missed that opportunity this past year. The McRib gave me food poisoning 10 years ago. I haven't had one since. 
funny how no. that happens. You just cannot go back to that. No, no. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's Cardi B, her rise to stardom. Yeah. By the time I became aware of who she was, she was like already a huge star, and I have no idea how it happened. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm actually kind of on the same boat there, Mike. Um, <laughs> mine is also a music reference. Mine's the uh, the Imagine Dragons. Um, I thought they were cool and everybody loved them, but I've kind of, and I even mentioned them earlier in the, before the season started, we had like that songs episode, like what would be a good song to use. And I used one of theirs, but anyways, apparently they're turning into this generation's Nickelback a little bit, maybe not quite that bad, but, um, yeah, I didn't know that. So I'm not cool. (laughs) Nope. Uh, last question. (laughs) What is your upset special for the weekend? A seven plus point underdog to win outright. I'm going with Virginia, seven and a half point dog at Duke, and both teams have a, a pretty similar profile in terms of S&P Plus offense and defense, and we saw what Virginia's defense, of course, is capable of, capable of against the U this past weekend. It's one of the lower totals on the board at 45 and a half, so I'll say Virginia wins a close, low-scoring game. All right. I like that. I'm going to take Maryland. They're getting 11 and a half at Iowa. I like this Terrapin team, and, and even though they they can be spotty, they've proven that their A game is very competitive with about anyone, and Iowa isn't invincible in the least bit, so I'm going to take the Terps. Alrighty, um, I'm going to take, well actually, I almost had last week, We I had Baylor over Texas, that one was close, Ooh. they couldn't punch it in late, but yeah. I'm going to try with uh, Purdue this week, the Boilermakers, you know, they, they host Ohio State, they're 14 point dogs. It's going to be a night game. I think uh, that David Blau is going to have some success through the air versus that Buckeye secondary, and I think they can pull off the upset. So I, I just wanted to to recap the, the ending of our last episode. We talked about how Eastern Michigan just cannot avoid losing these close games. They ended up winning this past weekend 28-26, yeah. but they were up 28-3, and they they held on because they they didn't allow a two-point conversion with 20 seconds left they tried to gag it (laughs) they just need every game to be close no matter what win or lose (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) well we gave them good spirits last week though they were due (laughs) there yeah exactly all right that'll do it for our week eight preview episode thanks for listening remember 260 cfb bros give us a call with any questions for next week's podcast or any comments on the game you're watching this weekend. Follow us on Instagram at College Football Bros. Give us five stars on Apple Podcast. Give us a written review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps more people find the show. That's all I have to ask of you. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the College Football Bros. If you have any questions for the next podcast, email them to collegefootballbros at gmail.com. To keep up with the brothers on social media, Like them on Facebook at College Football Bros. Follow them on Instagram at College Football Bros. And for their commentary on Saturdays, follow them on Twitter at CFB Bros. Thanks for listening.